Welcome back to Spoiler Free Wrestling's weekly flagship show. Always a pleasure talking all the news in the world of professional wrestling. And there has been plenty of news this week for us to talk about. But first, I want to talk about All Elite Wrestling's Double or Nothing event on May 25th from the MGM Grand Garden Arena in Las Vegas, selling out in just four minutes after tickets went on sale. Of course, like every time I hear, oh, the event sold out in four minutes, the event sold out in like eight minutes, those times are really just testing how fast the ticket software was going at that point. Basically, what these sellouts show is the second tickets went on sale, there was enough people that wanted to buy them immediately. Now, in terms of how many people will be going to Double or Nothing, in an episode of The Road to Double or Nothing, uh, or it might have been Being the Elite, I can't remember, they mentioned that they are scaling down how many seats are available in the arena uh, from what has previously been used for wrestling in the MGM Grand Garden Arena before. So they were scaling it for under 12,000, which is less than the wrestling record in the arena, which was set by Halloween Havoc 1997 by WCW. So I wanted to go over some of WCW's attendance figures at the same arena uh, and compare it to what All Elite Wrestling has done, being able to sell that building out in just four minutes. So the first time WCW, and they ran some Nitros from here, but I don't have attendance figures from Nitro. But they ran, uh, they ran Halloween Havoc uh, like three or four years in a row from the build, uh, from the building. So in 1996, the first time WCW ran the MGM Grand Garden Arena, the attendance is listed at 10,000, and that's from Cage Match. 10,000 strikes me as a number that was. Um, either rounded up or they don't have an exact number, so it's around 10,000. Um, it's definitely a, an event that's at capacity. No one's complaining about their attendance figures for Halloween Havoc 1996. That show was main evented by Hollywood Hogan defending the WCW slash NWO World Heavyweight Championship against Macho Man Randy Savage, who at that time had yet to defect from WCW to the NWO. And then this is going on. Uh, so this is just a few months, really, after the NWO angle has started. So the Outsiders defeated Harlem Heat for the WCW tag titles. Uh, also on that show, we had uh, Six Pac against Chris Jericho and Diamond Dallas Page versus Eddie Guerrero. So WCW was quite hot at the time that they walked into the MGM Grand Garden Arena. And I don't know if they sold it out, but they definitely got close to capacity in 1996. Now, fast forward to 1997. This is what we're assuming is the pro wrestling attendance record in the building. And this attendance is listed at 12,457 for Halloween Havoc 1997, which was main evented by Hollywood Hogan versus Rowdy Roddy Piper. And so Cody mentioned this a bit about how they've actually scaled the MGM Grand Garden Arena to be less than this number 
so they are likely not going to set the attendance record. Uh, but he did say if they move some cameras, if they if they go to set it up and they're like, we don't need this camera over here, that'll open up a few hundred seats that can then go on sale closer to the day of the event. So there's still a chance that they could break the attendance record. At the So Piper and Hogan was the main event of Halloween Havoc 97 that, that drew the, the record uh, crowd. Macho Man also took on DDP in a Las Vegas sudden death match. Lex Luger versus Scott Hall. Mr. Perfect versus Flair. So this was uh, Rey Mysterio versus Eddie Guerrero. Chris Jericho actually defeated Gato on this card. Go look it up. Gato wrestled a match in WCW, lost to Chris Jericho on Halloween Havoc 1997 in the MGM Grand Garden Arena. Of course, Gato uh, has gone on to be the manager of the new IWGP heavyweight champion, Jay White. We're going to get more into Jay White and what he accomplished on Monday in Osaka a little bit later. But then Halloween Havoc in 1998, they drew a little over 10,000 for, this was Hollywood, uh, for Goldberg versus DDP and Hollywood Hogan versus the Ultimate Warrior or the Warrior. Halloween Havoc 1999 and WCW's attendance is really going downhill at this point. Uh, well, not really, I guess. They, they got 8,464 for Halloween Havoc 1999, so you can see it's definitely going down. Then Halloween Havoc 2000, which was the last edition of the pay-per-view, drawing under 8,000 at 7,582. So All Elite Wrestling has already shown that they can draw attendance figures in the area of what WCW was during, doing during the height of their popularity. Now, some are saying, well, you can't totally count all in and you can't totally count double or nothing in the same vein as just a regular run-of-the-mill pay-per-view that a promotion was doing back in the late 90s because all in, because double or nothing. Um, these are sort of events that you don't know how often you're, you're going to be able to see them. All in, for all anybody knew, was a one-off event. Double or nothing is the big sort of genesis of a new promotion and both events were also uh well all in was attached to the starcast convention and double or nothing is attached to the to the uh starcast 2 convention so there's also the argument that it's not just the wrestling promotion that's drawing the house it's also these attached uh, events like the starcast event which are getting people to travel to the events and the argument being if you take these away or if these just simply become less popular, these conventions, I mean, does All Elite Wrestling continue to be as popular, continue to be selling out large venues in four minutes? Yeah. I mean, we'll find out at some point. They're not always going to be throwing these events in uh, on the same weekend as a StarCast convention. And... And we'll see what they're, what the promotion is able to draw on the road for, say, a TV taping or a regular night on TV. Or what are they drawing when they're throwing four or five pay-per-views a year 
and people realize you're just going to get another one in three months. What are they going to draw when people aren't traveling from out of town to go to the events? What are they going to draw when they're just going to Pittsburgh and everybody that's going to the event is from Pittsburgh or the surrounding area? We don't know yet. But you also can't discredit that they sold out the MGM Grand Garden Arena in four minutes. And by the sounds of things, they could have done that with the T-Mobile Arena had the T-Mobile Arena been available for that weekend, uh, which unfortunately they were not able to guarantee because of the Las Vegas Knights' potential hockey playoff schedule. So all the same, all elite wrestling gearing towards... Double or Nothing, and Kenny Omega versus Chris Jericho 2, Alpha versus Omega 2, was made official this week. We still don't have the Young Bucks versus the Lucha Bros as an official match for Double or Nothing. Um, but yeah, things are starting to come together. Still many months away. We've still got, uh, what, three or four months until this event. All right, we're very lucky. We've got producer Amy in the house. Hello, Amy. Hi. So, every week, well, I want to aim for every week. We'll see what happens. Uh, I want to show you not not the two greatest things that happened in wrestling this week. Um, not the two most significant things that happened in wrestling this week. But I just want to show you two things that I thought were pretty cool that happened in wrestling every week. And there were two things that happened, and these were the two things that I chose. Now, part of me wanted to choose the Ronda Rousey, Becky Lynch, Charlotte Flair stuff, because the road to WrestleMania, I mean, it's hard to argue that that's the most significant thing that's happening in wrestling right now. It's the thing that most wrestling fans are watching. However, I don't know. It just didn't strike me as the, the thing that I wanted to show producer Amy in wrestling this week. So, and I mean, this week all Vince McMahon did was take Becky Lynch out of the match. And there's, God knows there's enough podcasts that you can all go to to listen to people talk about their opinions on Ronda Rousey and Charlotte Flair at WrestleMania. So I wanted to show Amy Jay White winning the IWGP Heavyweight Championship from Hiroshi Tanahashi. The 29th person ever to win the IWGP Heavyweight Championship. There's some critics of not Jay White out there. I don't think you can really criticize Jay White, but some have criticized the degree to which he is getting pushed in New Japan Pro Wrestling. So we watched that match. But before we watched Jay White defeat Hiroshi Tanahashi, we watched PCO and Mark Briscoe from Bound for Honor Miami or Florida from Ring of Honor last weekend. And this was a match. So PCO and Brody King, if you're not following Ring of Honor, they are now villain enterprises in Ring of Honor. Marty Skrull has brought them in as sort of his faction buddies. And so Brody King and PCO, who spent pretty much all of 2018 wrestling on the independent circle uh, circuit. Um, producer Amy, yes. were you... At the match, I think it was at the Phoenix, and it was for Smash Wrestling. Yeah, you were there. Jeff Cobb versus PCO versus Brody King. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So that was a match which 
it was like the semi-main event on a Smash wrestling show where, like, Smash Wrestling, which is on the Fight Network, it's on a whole bunch of other stuff. They're a local promotion around, I mean, Toronto is sort of their hub, but they go around Ontario, like, they'll go to London, Ontario, where they did a Twitch show with Impact Wrestling. So, But they'll bring in, like, the top indie stars to be, like, the second main event, and they'll draw people in, and then they'll try and keep them with their stories and stuff. And they're, they're a good promotion. So we went to go see them, and we saw Jeff Cobb versus Brody King versus PCO um, for Smash Wrestling. Second row in the Phoenix. An amazing match. All three of those wrestlers now are signed to Ring of Honor. They got... You know, good contracts with Ring of Honor. We'll be wrestling there and wrestling for New Japan Pro Wrestling. And then Brody King and PCO won Tag Wars back in January with Ring of Honor. It was a tag team tournament. So they'll face the Briscoes on March 17th. Or no, March 15th on ROH's 17th anniversary show. So on the show that we watched last weekend... Brody King was scheduled to take on Jay Briscoe. PCO was scheduled to take on Mark Briscoe in two matches to set up this tag match. Not sure what happened to Brody King. at the. There was ROH had TV tapings the night before. However, Brody King was uh, not there the night after. So I don't know if Brody King got injured at the TV tapings or not. But his schedule match with Jay Briscoe didn't happen. Jay Briscoe wrestled Rhett Titus instead. Uh, but we watched PCO versus Mark Briscoe. Producer Amy, what's the what's the first thought that comes into your mind when you think about having watched PCO versus Mark Briscoe yesterday? Intense. intense. It was really intense. Yeah, PC uh, like PCO is pretty intense. Yeah, right? very intense. It was like they just kept coming at him, and he just. Well, apparently he can't die, which is what I've learned. Can't die? Well, he's not human. Yeah. So anything that humans can do, such as dying. Yeah. uh, It's not sure if that will happen with PCO, as he is not human, so we should not judge him by those standards. So yeah, that was the story of the match, though. Uh, As producer Amy was saying, Mark Briscoe played the heel to perfection. So they started off and they just started brawling. And it's all even. They're both big brawlers. Mark Briscoe is a big brawler. PCO loves hardcore matches. And then they both go to grab chairs and, and hit the other guy with chairs. And the referee comes in. Remember in Ring of Honor, they're trying to do this thing where the refs have a bit more authority. That didn't play out too well in this match, but it did at the beginning when uh, the referee said, no, you guys can't use chairs. What are you doing? This isn't a no DQ match. So PCO goes to put his chair away, and then Mark Briscoe, uh, he didn't use a chair, but he sucker-punched PCO, and he gets on the advantage, and he starts doing all this stuff, but he can't hurt PCO because PCO's not human. And then, you know, PCO starts fighting back, and so Mark Briscoe, every time Mark Briscoe got the advantage, he would do some dirty heel tactic to get it, like rake the eyes or drop PCO in his throat on the guardrail or sucker-punch him when he's not... um, looking and then it just kept going on that mark briscoe would have to up what he did every time to try and beat pco and finally he power slammed him on the stage power slammed a 50 year old man who's probably like 350 pounds power slammed him on the stage tried to get him back in even that's not working pco comes back eventually hits his big moonsault from the top 
pins Mark Briscoe clean. Oh, yeah, and he kicked out from Mark Briscoe's finisher. Mark Briscoe used the froggy bow. PCO kicked out from the froggy bow. So it was a very significant match for PCO. Producer Amy, you look like you have something to say. Oh, no, I was also just going to say Annie pushed him down the stairs. Pushed him down the stairs. I think it was... And uh, they specifically said, they were like, people get seriously injured from that. And he was just totally unfazed. Caprice Coleman mentioned on... on uh, the, after after PCO gets powerbombed on the stage... Alexa, stop. <laughs> Sorry, our Amazon Echo thought that they were involved in this podcast. Um, so pushes PCO goes... Just like a backward somersault down this down a set of stairs, which, as Caprice Coleman brought up, can seriously injure you. Like, don't ever repeat what you see PCO do, especially if you're PCO's age. Um, but I really felt like that match was significant because PCO is the most over person in Ring of Honor right now. I mean, the crowds are not what they were drawing with the elite. Obviously, they're down to what they had been doing before the elite really hit their stride and uh, but everybody that's there was chaining PCO like yeah the, yeah it, it was that match is definitely worth watching that show for like it um it, hey like if you think PCO is gonna just hold back now that he got a big money contract uh, that's not happening um that was essentially a house show that uh, broadcast on Honor Club, and he went all out, including getting powerbombed on the stage. So PCO, he's not, he's not holding up just because he got, just because he got the money. And Amy, I know you like PCO because he's from Montreal. Wait. Oui, c'est vrai. Oui, c'est vrai. Comment ça va? <laughs> PCO est bien. <laughs> Very good, Ian. Thank you. Um, all right, but that was PCO and Mark Briscoe. I basically just wanted to show you that because I thought it was a fantastic match, and uh, I know you've seen PCO live. Well, you've seen Mark Briscoe live too, but you saw PCO from the second row. Um, the other match, obviously very significant for the fans of New Japan Pro Wrestling. This was the most significant thing that happened this week, and a lot of people are talking about it. Jay White defeating Hiroshi Tanahashi to become the 29th ever person to win the IWGP heavyweight championship producer Amy you watched an abbreviated version of this match people who mm -hmm. have the uh, Apple Apple TV with the 10 second clicker few headlocks got the 10 second clicks to kind of speed up what was a fairly long well, match it but, was very long yeah but you know what what are your first initial thoughts of Jay White defeating Hiroshi Tanahashi for the IWGP Heavyweight Championship. Well, I was hoping Hiroshi would win just because, you know, he's the good guy. And I don't know. I was just hoping he would. <coughs> sorry. He would come out on top. But, yeah, it was interesting because the there was so much focus on his knees and what Jay White was going to do um, with his knees. And, you know, how he's going to focus on that. And so you, you think he's going to lose... You know, based on a knee injury, and then it was nothing to do with that at all. That's what, um, and that was something that I, I, that we had talked about after the match was over. The entire match, and not even the entire match, the entire lead-in to this match was all about Jay White has developed a new finishing submission move called the Tana Tap Out, 
that focuses on Tanahashi's knees. And everything in this match, including the camera, would even focus on Hiroshi Tanahashi's knees at random intervals. It was all about the 40-year-old champion, the champion who's in his 40s, who everybody thought was too, had taken too much of a beating throughout his career. He'd gotten too old, too broken down to be able to compete on this level anymore. So the whole story of the match was Jay White focusing on Hiroshi Tanahashi's knees. Um, and, and then as the match wears on, Tanahashi starts to focus on Jay White's uh, legs a little bit. Though he generally does that in most matches because he does a lot of dragon, dragon screw leg whips. But then the finish of this match, the very finish of this match, had absolutely nothing to do with anything that had led up to it. And, I mean, I guess it did a little, but the finish of the match comes, Hiroshi Tanahashi's on the top, he's going to give Jay White the high fly flow. Now, during this thing, he doesn't, like, reach down and grab his knee like there's a momentary distraction from the, the pain in his knee. He just jumps off like he's going for his finishing move. White catches him, gives him the, the switchblade, and pins him. So the finish of the match didn't involve the Tana tap out, didn't involve Tanahashi's knees, didn't involve Jay White doing anything illegal, which he had been doing throughout the majority of the match. It all came down to White reversing Tanahashi's finisher into his finisher. And I thought that was interesting, the way they built all of this up to make it understandable that Tanahashi tapped out at the end. And then Tanahashi didn't tap out at the end. And in the end, his beaten down legs and leg injuries had nothing to do with it. And I thought that was so interesting. Did you have anything to add on that, producer Amy? Um, no, I agree with you. There's a few schools I like of... Tanahashi's hair, but I guess oh, everybody, that... everybody likes Tanahashi's hair. And, um... But I thought, okay, there's a few reasons why you, you might do this. One is just to throw everybody off. Like, Kazuchika Okada and Minoru Suzuki had a match last year during Okada's big record-breaking run. And during that match, they had done everything possible during the match to make it seem like it would be understandable if Okada tapped out at the end. But then Okada won, right? But this wasn't really that where you're like, oh my God, the good guy's going to lose. You, well, you were like that. You were like, oh my God, the good guy's going to lose. Um, but then it, it wasn't because the good guy... It wasn't because the bad guy cheated or took advantage of, like, a flaw in Tanahashi's character. Like, meaning, like, Tanahashi kept fighting through injuries so much, it was to his detriment, and that's what eventually lost him the match. That's not what the story was. The, well, that's what the story was, but that's not what the finish was. The finish was that Jay White just beat Tanahashi. And people will compare that to when Okada just beat Tanahashi seven years ago in Osaka. Um, but that Jay White won the title cleanly without focusing. Well, it wasn't clean because he cheated throughout the match, but the finish was clean. And so one school of thought is that they did it just to throw you off. Another school of thought is that they did it just to show you 
hey, sometimes the story we're telling isn't what is going to happen in the match, just like what happens in real sports. Like, if you watched Jay White versus Hiroshi Tanahashi as a, in the same way that you watch, like, a WWE WrestleMania match, you would absolutely assume that Tanahashi is tapping out at the end. Because otherwise, why are they telling you all this other stuff? They don't tell you unimportant stuff in TV shows. They don't tell you unimportant stuff in movies. If Tanahashi's knees aren't going to play into the end, why were they built up so much throughout the match? And it was just a, like it was either just to throw you off or just to show you, look, wrestling's unpredictable. Or, you know, it's, it's just to show that, like, in the end, White won based on his own abilities. But regardless of why they did it, well, first of all, I think it's cool that we can't guess why they did it. And that helps keep New Japan Pro Wrestling unpredictable and therefore, in the eyes of many, more enjoyable. We can't, we can't decide why they did it. We can't predict if they would do this again. And now the next time we have a story where we've got a beaten down champion with injured legs or an injured arm or something, we have no idea if that's going to play into the finish or not. And that'll make that match uh, or that program a little bit more fun to enjoy for all of us. And so this is just speculation, but that's probably why they did it. Anyway, producer Amy, what are your closing thoughts on Jay White defeating Hiroshi Tanahashi and maybe just Jay White as champion in New Japan altogether? Um, he did a good job. He did a good job. Well, some people say that he's not just, uh, like, he's not on the level of, like, a Kenny Omega or an AJ Styles, right? And one, <coughs> one thing that I would point out is, like, he's not supposed to be. Kenny Omega and AJ Styles were their own stars, in many ways, Jay White is just the antagonist of the show, helping to build other stars. Mm-hmm. Now, I mean, a- AJ Styles was a bad guy. He was a heel. But AJ Styles was a star when he came in. Like, his star was brighter than Jay White's. Jay White doesn't have the name recognition of an AJ Styles or of a Kenny Omega, but I don't think he needs to. But and I, Sorry? I was gonna say, do you think he will? Or he could? He's not as good of a... Well, okay. (sighs) Maybe. Like, Kenny Omega, when he was 26, nobody had ever heard of him. He he was... I don't even think he'd gone to DDT yet. He certainly wasn't the wrestler that he is now at 26. AJ Styles was just kicking around TNA. He had a great reputation, but... Nobody, you know... I, I don't think he was... His reputation was... Too, well, I mean, it was better than Jay White's, isn't it? But, well, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. Jay White is still very young in this business. Mm-hmm. He's 26 years old, and he's only been wrestling for six years. By the time Jay White's Kenny Omega's age, he'll have been in this business for over 20 years. Um, I, it's way too early in Jay White's career to know if, he will, if he's peaked already. I see. 
But he did it. He's got stamina. That was a long match. Yeah, well, and that's the other thing is they can put him in matches that they could put Kenny Omega and AJ Styles in. He can have those long matches uh, with guys like Hiroshi Tanahashi and Kazuchika Okada. We don't know if he can have those matches with guys like, you know, Yoshihashi or Tomohiro Ishii. But he can definitely have them with the best of the best. So he can hang with the best of the best. He had great matches with Kenny Omega. But people don't go to him and say, oh, wow, you know, if you put Jay White in a match with Kazuchika Okada, it's going to be the greatest match of all time, like they do with Kenny Omega or AJ Styles. But it kind of something that I had pointed out um, before. is like, I don't watch, I don't watch a match because I want to see a great wrestling match. There's usually somebody I'm cheering for. Uh, now, that's not how all people watch wrestling, though. Some people watch wrestling because they just they they want to see a good entertaining match and they don't actually care who wins or who loses. But the people who watch it like a fictional sport, they care who wins and who loses. I care who wins and who loses, especially in New Japan Pro Wrestling where wins and losses really matter. But I think that's all. Uh, we'll talk about Jay White and Hiroshi Tanahashi for a bit. I uh, just also want to mention... Jay White's first title defense will be in Madison Square Garden over WrestleMania weekend. I think it's April 6th, 5th, 6th. Um, and he will face the winner of the New Japan Cup, which will take place in March, the single elimination tournament. Now, normally, if you won the New Japan Cup, you had a choice of which champion that you would challenge. This time, no choice. Um, you'll face Jay White in Madison Square Garden. Another note on this, only Kota Ibushi has officially announced that he'll be in the New Japan Cup. He won the New Japan Cup a few years ago um, and only lost to AJ Styles in his title match when Kenny Omega interfered. So that was kind of interesting. But also Tetsuya Naito, when he defeated Taichi in Sapporo two weeks ago, he said in his post-match interview that he wants to hold both the Intercontinental Championship and the IWGP Heavyweight Championship. So I don't know if we're not going to see Naito in the New Japan Cup as well, even though he holds a title. So lots of exciting stuff coming up from New Japan Pro Wrestling in March and in early April. I know producer Amy will be sticking close by New Japan Pro Wrestling to see how Jay White does in March. But I want to move on from New Japan Wrestling now onto other topics. So while Double or Nothing is sold out, the other event going on in Las Vegas that weekend, the StarCast 2 convention, the biggest name they could possibly bring in for this convention is coming in. Arguably the most iconic figure in WWE history. In fact, according to Stephanie McMahon herself, the most iconic figure in WWE history, The Undertaker, will be participating in StarCast 2. He's gonna there will be some type of meet and greet event, which is gonna cost like $150 a ticket or something. It's gonna be a very expensive uh chance to be in a an intimate setting with the undertaker like just in a room people asking questions to the undertaker anything about his career stuff like that and the question is like why is wwe allowing the undertaker 
to appear at a wrestling convention, which is so largely associated with a rival wrestling promotions big event that is to kickstart their new promotion. Why would Undertaker, why would WWE not just say, what, they're giving you 150 grand to do this? We'll give you 300 grand not to. And so it, it, it's, it's a bit of a mystery. Maybe this is, is something he wants to do and can't do it uh, in association with WWE or WWE um, is unwilling to part with some of that money they got from Fox and USA to give to The Undertaker so that he doesn't go help a rival promotions event. Now, StarCast 2 promoter Conrad Thompson will argue, whoa, our con convention has nothing to do with, I mean, it, double or nothing, it's happening at the same time, it's happening in the same thing, but we're not an all-elite wrestling event. And, you know, Conrad Thompson, Conrad Thompson is Ric Flair's son-in-law. Ric Flair is, is going to have a big 70th birthday celebration on Raw, and Ric Flair's daughter, who would be Conrad Thompson's sister-in-law, I think, um, is, was just named as going to be in the main event of WrestleMania against Ronda Rousey by Vince McMahon. Now, that match might still get changed. I I don't know. Vince McMahon said that uh, Becky Lynch is suspended till after WrestleMania, so I don't know. But Conrad Thompson, I mean, he's in the Flair family. The Flair family is very invested in WWE right now. So there's just a lot of interesting dynamics in The Undertaker coming to this event. Um, I don't know if it's notable that The Undertaker wasn't announced for StarCast 2 until after Double or Nothing had sold out. I don't know if that's significant or not. But another interesting point to The Undertaker showing up at StarCast, which happened uh, this week. So, okay, so in The Observer recently, there was a story, or sorry, there was a story on Wrestling Observer Radio where Dave Meltzer said that The Undertaker had removed all mention of WWE from his social media accounts. So now I, I work as a writer for SE Scoops, and the rule, not just in wrestling media, but in all media, is if one media outlet breaks a story that's news, you've got to cover it too. You've got to say, this outlet is reporting that. So if you're running a wrestling site, Except for spoilerfreewrestling.com, where we have sort of a different mandate. But if you're running a wrestling site, a main, like, a main, like a normal wrestling site, you, you have to report on a big story that Dave Meltzer says. Like, you have to. You're kind of not allowed not to. Like, the, the, your readers won't give you credibility if you're not acknowledging certain stories that come out in The Observer. And that's just how it goes. So new, so all the big wrestling sites rep repeated the news that Undertaker had removed mention of WWE from their social media accounts. Then it starts coming out, and you're getting messages and comments on Twitter, uh, fucking whatever, ICQ, written messages on ICQ about how The Undertaker never had WWE uh, mentioned in his social media bios. So then we go, and the writers are sort of talking to each other, and 
and we're asking, does anybody know if the Undertaker had mention of WWE in their in his social media bios? And everyone was like, I don't know. None of us know. We don't know. So, so people, but people were saying that he didn't. So, but the Wrestling Observer never corrected it to say, oh, he actually never had mention of WWE in his uh, social media accounts. They kept going along with uh, Undertaker removed mention of WWE from his social media accounts. Now, I have some speculation as to why I think that happened, but this is definitely speculation. So the report, the initial report said the Undertaker had removed mention of WWE from his social media accounts and that in its place was an email address for a media company where Undertaker is taking outside WWE bookings. This story comes out in The Observer. People refute it. Uh, they refute the, the thing about removing WWE from the social media. Wrestling Observer never goes back on it. In fact, when they put out the written report later, they mention it again that he removed mention of social media. And so I'm like, well, why? Like, why when this is being disputed, do you not even bring it up? And my speculation is that the Wrestling Observer is going on information that they've been given from The Undertaker's team, right? And this, I don't know that this is what happened in this case, but this is what happens so often in cases. There's a management team usually representing a wrestler who wants a certain story out in the wrestling media. And whether they're doing this because they want to sign another... Well, usually it's done because somebody wants to make more money. That's why these stories are fed to the Observer. Somebody wants to make more money. The Undertaker wanted the story out there that he's accepting non-WWE bookings. And perhaps wanted it out there that they're really, they're really gonna take non WWE uh, bookings. Um, they're gonna take competitor bookings, and so there needed to be that little bit that the Undertaker's removed WWE from his social media accounts because there needed to be that little bit that the Undertaker is very open to taking non WWE bookings. So I so and then lo and behold, a week later, the big story is that the Undertaker is booked for Starcast. Well, you don't have to be a genius to figure out what happened here. The Undertaker's management team fed the Observer a story. The Observer printed it. And this then went around and Conrad Thompson's like, okay, I'll book The Undertaker. And so there you go. And that's how sometimes wrestling contracts and wrestling bookings are negotiated through the Wrestling Observer Newsletter. Isn't that interesting? All right, that's all I want to talk about The Undertaker at StarCast. So the Elimination Chamber is tonight, but I imagine some... I imagine many of you are listening to this after the Elimination Chamber, and many more of you don't give a fuck about the Elimination Chamber. Um, I mean, I, I am the world's most easily appeased wrestling fan, so I want to see who wins the Women's Tag Team Championships. I'm cheering for the Riot Squad on that. Um, what else is going on in the Elimination Chamber? Yeah, the, the WWE Championship match with Daniel Bryan, that might be good. But I wanted to talk about The Usos versus Shane McMahon and The Miz. Now, I don't watch things involving Shane McMahon and The Miz. I haven't seen any of this buildup. I saw The Usos uh, really run down Shane McMahon and The Miz on 
Nick Miz TV for a little bit, but I always fast forward whatever the Miz or Shane McMahon says, but I'll watch the Usos. Anyway, so Jimmy Uso got arrested this week in Detroit, and and, uh, there's been some weird... The story isn't what Jimmy Uso did. The story is how people are covering what Jimmy Uso did. Um, Okay, well, there is a little bit of a story of what Jimmy Uso did. So apparently him and Naomi are riding around Detroit, and Naomi goes the wrong way on a one-way street, and they get pulled over. Important to this note is Jimmy Uso has two DUIs in his past, in 2011 and 2013, but he's not driving here, which leads me to believe that uh, Naomi is a great designated driver, because the cops said that, and this is according to the TMZ report, the TMZ report is going to be 100% from the police report and nothing from Jimmy Uso and Naomi. So I'm assuming. I, I, I would imagine TMZ did not get a quote from Jimmy Uso or Naomi about their side of what happened. But according to the TMZ report, the cop said that the... Um, the vehicle smelled like booze, so they asked Naomi to get out of the car. Naomi gets out of the car. Naomi's not drunk. She just the the she was directionally challenged on a one-way street. But I guess Jimmy Uso is drunk and decided to get out of the car. And the report says he took off his jacket and shirt and squared up like he wanted to fight the officer. But picture that in your mind. Picture Jimmy Uso getting out of a car. Now this is Detroit in February, so it's fucking cold. Jimmy Uso gets out of the car, takes off his shirt and his jacket, and squares up like he wants to fight? I'm just picturing Jimmy Uso doing the haka dance. So all I hear in this is, while Naomi's talking to the cop, Jimmy Uso goes, well, it's time to practice my haka dance. He comes out, starts doing the haka, and I guess the cop pulls out the uh, pulls out a taser, and Jimmy was like, oh, okay. Uh, and then Jimmy Uso was arrested for obstruction and disorderly conduct. Now, everybody, everybody, wrestling news outlets, um, even the ones that you think are not that bad, have totally blown this out of proportion. They don't understand that WWE doesn't care if you get arrested. They only care if you get arrested for certain things. They care if you get arrested for certain things that's going to reflect badly on the company if they get out. Taking your shirt and jacket off and, and, and you know, kind of being drunk around a cop, I, like, it's probably not a good idea, but it's not, there's no victim there, you know? Like, the cop who was a little frightened for a bit and decided, oh, maybe I'll reach for my taser, they're not a victim. That's part of their job is dealing with drunk people taking their clothes off. Um, what WWE will fire people for is domestic violence. Unless you're Stone Cold Steve Austin. Uh, but domestic violence is a big one. Any And that this all comes from like the NFL. Had a huge domestic violence problem. They're following suit on that. They don't want any negative things. That's why Rich Swan was quietly released, you know, last year. And Rich Swan didn't even do anything. Rich, Rich Swan is a victim of the public reading a few reports and assuming they know what happened. Nobody who knows Rich Swan says a negative thing about the guy. So, but everybody decided he was a negative or he was a horrible person because they read a secondhand report about something that might've happened that a witness might've confused what they saw. 
Um, and even then, because it wasn't really out there that Swan had done anything wrong, they wished him well in his future endeavors. They said, you know, we've come to the terms for a release with Rich Swan. We wish him well in his future endeavors. Big Cass didn't get wished well in his future endeavors. Enzo Amore didn't get wished well in his future endeavors. So there is, they don't wish everybody well on their future endeavors, but they did with Rich Swan. So Jimmy Uso is an, okay, so WrestleZone then goes to reach out for a comment from WWE. Um, I didn't reach out for a comment from WWE because I know what their comment was going to be. And it was the one that they gave to WrestleZone, which was Jimmy Uso is responsible for his own actions, which more or less says, we don't care. Just Jimmy will have to deal with that on his own. This isn't a thing that we deal with. Even DUIs where nobody gets hurt, WWE does nothing about. Jeff Hardy got a DUI, nothing happened. Jay Uso got a DUI in 2018, nothing happened. So just crimes where there's a victim, where there's like a where like where there's a real victim, and definitely in like domestic assault cases, WWE zero tolerance policy. Anything else, disorderly conduct, getting drunk, whatever. There's a boys will be boys or or superstars will be superstars uh, mentality. Nothing is going to uh, happen to Jimmy Uso. And then, so other wrestling sites going around, is the Usos versus Miz versus Shane McMahon going to happen? They're asking these questions. Of course it's going to happen. Nothing is going to change. Nothing at all. Now, here's the kicker. Fox News gets in on this. Fox News. We don't have enough problems with bullshit media in pro wrestling already, and now we're inviting Fox News into the mix? Oh, Jesus. So Fox News reports that they have a source within WWE, and this is such BS. They have a source within WWE that says Jimmy and Naomi were trying to get fired. So they did this on their own. They they set out on a plan. Let's do something to try and get fired. Okay, so Naomi said that she'll drive the wrong way on a one-way street, risk life and limb. Well, of course, if you're risking life, you know, you might as well risk your limbs, right? Because you don't need them if you're going to die. But anyway, and then Jimmy Uso said, I know, I want to go to All Elite Wrestling so badly. I want to go to All Elite Wrestling so badly, I'm going to antagonize a police officer. And this is going to get me fired, and then I'm going to go to All Elite Wrestling. Okay, well, Fox News is stupid for a bunch of reasons. One, Jimmy Uso, who has two DUIs, would know that's not getting him fired. Two, uh, if they did do something that was so abhorrent to get fired, they're probably not going to get invited to All Elite Wrestling. They're, All Elite Wrestling is not just going to pick up people who were fired from WWE for doing something shitty. And then also, like, what are you going to do with Jey Uso? So you fired Jimmy Uso. Jey Uso didn't do anything. You can't fire him. He's still on one show. And then you've got Jimmy Uso going to the other show. Fox News, stay away from pro wrestling. You're bad enough at what you do. Um, so that's all I want to talk about uh, in terms of Jimmy Uso and the Usos. Jimmy Uso, mark my words, nothing will happen to him. Nothing will happen to any wrestler who decides to take off their shirt and jacket after getting pulled over by the cops. Nothing. WWE has no policy on that. Nothing will happen. Why 
the wrestling media continues to be contacting WWE about what's going to happen, saying that the Usos are trying to get fired. Why? This story has been blown out of proportion. I'll never understand. Well, I do understand, but it's, you know, kind of disappointing. And just a couple of other news and notes before we take off for today. And I just do want to thank everybody who supports the YouTube channel, the website. Uh, We've got a great Facebook page going, a lot of really active people on Facebook. Um, I want to thank people for supporting the rankings and results posts that we do. I uh, hear from a lot of people who really enjoy those, uh, and really it, it it can sort of serve as a program for the actual show. You load up the territory report, you know who's in each division, you know the results of matches, and the way we do things, you can load that up while you're watching the show, and you won't it won't spoil anything that's going to happen on the show too. So thank you for supporting all that. A couple of news and notes for. Major League Wrestling fans, and that is a great promotion. They have announced their Knicks Live special will be March 2nd from Chicago. And while we don't know if it'll be on the live special yet, there will be a rematch for the MLW World Heavyweight Championship between Tom Lawler and Low Key. But it will take place inside a steel cage. So Tom Lawler versus Low Key in a steel cage. Also, in Major League Wrestling news, Uh, They will no longer be doing the War Games gimmick match. They have sold the rights of the War Games gimmick match to WWE. WWE had been using War Games, but they had combined the two words. So it was one word War Games. And as part of the deal with MLW, MLW will no longer be using the War Games match moving forward. And they're going to stick with their... Battle Riot and Super Fight and stuff like that. And when you look at it, like the War Games match wasn't the biggest thing that MLW was doing. It was kind of cool, but um, MLW is really good at kind of coming up with their own gimmick matches and things like that. So War Games no longer a part of MLW and, uh, and will uh, just officially be WWE. Um, from here moving forward, I did want to talk a little bit about Elimination Chamber. Uh, so for those of you who don't care about WWE, which I know is a lot of you, you can go ahead and just stop listening at this point. But uh, the Elimination Chamber, a lot of people complaining about Becky Lynch being removed from the WrestleMania main event. And so Ronda Rousey versus Charlotte Flair is what Vince McMahon has announced. Some are assuming that... Becky Lynch will find her way back into that match. That does seem likely, but at Elimination Chamber, there's a few matches that I think are worth seeing. I mentioned the women's WWE Tag Team Championship match, Elimination Chamber match. Now, will it be a good match? I don't know. Probably, like, no, it might not be. There's plenty, there's been plenty of really bad Elimination Chamber matches. But, and and, and this is what, um, you'll hear a lot of people talking about that they're not that into this match, that it's going to be a bad match. But I know I watch wrestling a little differently than, than some people do. And I know from hearing from some of you that some of you do too. I don't care. Like I go into that match and the reason I want to watch that match is because I want Liv Morgan and Sarah Logan to win because I'm a fan of the riot squad. So I don't go into it going like, I want to watch a great match. I'm going to watch an exciting wrestling match. I go into it the same way I go and I 
I want to watch the Toronto Maple Leafs play hockey. I don't care if it's a seven-goal game. I just want the Leafs to win, right? So I don't care if the Riot squad lose a really exciting match. I want them to win. I'd rather them win a boring match. And to me, that's how you're supposed to enjoy wrestling. I know so many people don't do it that way, but this is supposed to be a fictional sport where you're supposed to lose yourself in the... You're supposed to suspend your disbelief and pretend that what you're watching is real. But I think so many people want to pretend that they are pro wrestling experts and that if they ran a pro wrestling promotion, it would be the best promotion in the world. So when they talk about what's going to happen at Elimination Chamber, they want to talk about how bad a match they think this is going to be. Well, how about just watch it because there's people in the match that you are that you want to see become the first tag team champions. And I was telling producer Amy about this when we were watching uh, Jay White versus uh, Hiroshi Tanahashi. It's this weird thing in wrestling where it's a fictional sport, but the athletes take pride in winning fictional championships because it means you're at a certain level at your job, right? So even though it's fictional, championships mean something to the people who win them. So I want Liv Morgan and Sarah Logan to win those titles because I, I, I want that for them because I've been a fan of them since they came up, partly because I like punk music. And so I'll cheer for the Riot Squad because they sort of, they're, they're the punk faction. So I will enjoy that match tonight, even if there's a bunch of botched spots, because I want the Riot Squad to win. And I'll dislike that match if they don't win. Or I, I wouldn't mind if Bailey and Sasha Banks win. That would be fine by me. Um, I like them too. I'm worried it's going to be Nia Jax and Tamina. But... I think the Riot Squad's there. I think Liv Morgan and, and Sarah Logan are right there. I think they have a chance. I think it's an outside chance. But I think they got a shot. Then it's The Miz and Shane McMahon versus The Usos. I will likely not watch that match. There's the Elimination Chamber for the WWE Championship. That match I do want to see. I think that match will be great. you got Daniel Bryan, AJ Styles, Jeff Hardy, Samoa Joe, Kofi Kingston, and Randy Orton. Those are six great wrestlers. So this... That is a match where you would expect those kinds of wrestling commentators to be like, this is going to be great. You're not really hearing that. Um, it will be great from a storyline perspective because the winner is the person who's going into the WWE Championship match at WrestleMania the Champion. And we're, gonna, we're just going to find out more about what goes on with that match, um, with that WrestleMania match. Tonight at the Elimination Chamber. Buddy Murphy versus Akira Tozawa. And what will be a great match for the Cruiserweight Championship. But now, it'll be a great match. But why is nobody talking about it? There's not a lot of Buddy Murphy or Akira Tozawa fans. I like Tozawa and Murphy. But they're not two of the wrestlers I've decided like, Hey, I'm going I'm to root for this guy. Right? So I have no emotional investment in that match. Whereas I have an emotional investment in the women's tag match because I want the Riot Squad to win. And kind of in the WWE Championship match because I like the hemp belt and I want to see it stay. Ronda Rousey versus Ruby Riot. 
in a match where if Ruby Riot wins, she'll main event WrestleMania, right? That's, I mean, they certainly the promotion for WrestleMania hasn't given Ruby much of a chance. Then Bobby Lashley will defend the Intercontinental Championship match against Finn Balor in a handy two-on-one handicap match. Which, if I'm Finn Balor, I try to pin Leo Rush as much as possible. And then Braun Strowman versus Baron Corbin in a no-DQ match. So that's the Elimination Chamber. Hey, there's some stuff there. It's perfectly fine to watch. And that takes place later tonight. And that'll be the last thing that we talk about. Thanks again, everyone, for supporting Spoiler Free Wrestling. I'll talk to you again next week.